Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Proud to be Queer with me, your host, Steve Keith. I am very excited about today's guest. Today, we have the winner of the 2023 Queer of the Year at the Queer Student Awards. It's Taj Donville Alterbridge. Hello, hello, everyone. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just in rainy London, trying to avoid <laughs> getting wet. <laughs> That's standard for most of us in the UK, isn't it? I think with the sunshine's now disappeared. <laughs> um, so, first of all, massive congratulations on being named our Queer of the Year. And also, we shouldn't forget for picking up your Role Model uh, of the Year award as well in our LGBTQ plus youth category alongside Jasper. How are you feeling about all of that? Honestly, super humbled, super, super humbled and super honoured as well. Um, I was, I kind of had an inkling that I might uh, be closely running for at least, because I was nominated for two categories, so at mm -hmm. least one of those, but I had no idea that I would be in the running for the top category, the career yeah. of the year. That was honestly the surprise of the year for me. And you had your sister came along with you as well, didn't she? On the evening, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, to Yeah. I know we'd had a conversation beforehand about getting her there and everything. So it was really when when you asked that, I was kind of I already knew that you'd won. Just so you know, she's there. We need to make sure if he wants to bring to if he wants to bring to one, they can bring to one. Um, okay. So, the, so, so for those people that aren't familiar with yourself and with the Queer cool. Student Awards, so the the categories that we were, were talking about. So you were shortlisted in our um, Legacy Builder of the Year category. Um, so that category was a new category for 2023. It was one that was designed um, as part of a competition that we ran uh, at the end of 2022 and was coincidentally won by our um, last year's Queer of the Year, Grace Armstrong. Mm. Um, so you were being recognised there as being um, a young LGBTQ plus person whose work is focused on long-term positive change and an impact for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and then you'd also, um, you were also shortlisted in our role model of the year LGBTQ plus youth category. Um, okay. So this category was the one that celebrates LGBTQ plus youth that most inspires the other young LGBTQ plus people that they coach, lead, manage or mentor um, within um, their, uh, whether that's school, whether that's college, whether that's on campus or um, for some of the catchers as well in the workplace too. How did it feel when you found out you'd made the shortlist? Let's go back there to start with. I guess, I guess honoured again. And it just, like, often, like, the work that, I do specifically is very much so behind the scenes. Like I don't do a lot of, I guess, in your face activism. So a lot of the work mm -hmm. I do is sending emails, taking meetings, uh, connecting people with people. Um, so a lot of stuff that doesn't always get seen. Mm -hmm. So it just really felt great for it to be seen and honored and actually appreciated. Cause oftentimes it feels like it goes unnoticed. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's good to hear because I feel like when we when I set the awards up three years ago, I was kind of sitting there and thinking this is an opportunity to platform people and for them to be celebrated for the work that they're doing. But yeah. um, th- to have somebody who is our current reigning now queer of the year, but also to hear that as well, kind of there is a big part for a lot of people that belong to our community around visibility and being and feeling yeah. seen. Um, and I know as well, we haven't uh, it hasn't necessarily been released yet, but the team that we're doing the live stream are just working on a, a highlights video and things. And there was a piece on the. Um, pink carpet where um, Smashby who performed on the evening was talking with Paris and they spoke quite passionately around kind of that visibility piece and actually how that wasn't the well the awards weren't there in the first place kind of 10 years ago and things like that but when they were growing up they they would have been excited to know that in the future there is going to be space public space where, where the work that they're doing can be recognised. And I suppose, like, hearing kind of Absolutely. you say about the work that you have been doing, I would guess kind of when you're when you're doing all of that work, it's clearly something that you're very passionate about and you're doing a huge amount yeah. of fantastic work. But I would guess sometimes it's hard to see whether or not it's being recognised and whether or not it's working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the nomination that we had for you, so I'm going to um, might slightly embarrass you now, so I will um, not apologise. <laughs> um, so I reread it before we started recording um, when I was looking at stuff this morning, and we've got the opener before we even get to the the reasons that you were recognised for all the different role model practices that you've been celebrated for here. So. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase some of this, but um, significant contributions to creating positive change. Uh, You were referred to as a trailblazer who is leading and working tirelessly to transform any space into a community, collaborative, uh, it's not a community, sorry, a supportive, collaborative and empowering environment for queer students. You were described as somebody who is unwavering in their commitment to activism and advocacy and who uses their experiences as a queer non-binary black person to promote visibility, challenge stereotypes and to agitate students to fight for the things that matter the most. How does that sound to you? Is that that an accurate description of you? Yes, I I suppose (laughs) so. Uh, One hundred percent, yeah, definitely. Excellent. I mean, it's it's great that like there's so many kind of fantastic things that are speaking to the work that you're doing there. But I know that on the evening itself, when we'd announced you as the overall winner, and and Katie gave you a microphone yes. to speak, that you did reference kind of that part around your queer identity and identity and being yeah. a non-binary person um, and being mm-hmm. a person of colour as well. How much does that mean to you to be recognised as being our our champion this year? It means it means everything because, like, often even though we're like even though Black queer people have always been kind of at the forefront of not just the queer movement but of many other movements, we often never get recognition until we're dead. <laughs> which is not funny 
it's not funny. It's actually quite, it's quite sad. And, um, and sometimes you just think that like what motivates us to do the work is just knowing that it's going to have an impact long after we're gone. And we don't really, uh, I guess, get caught up with people seeing the value of our, of our work and our words. So it's really good to like, I guess, get some flowers while I'm alive, unlike many of my predecessors. So let's learn a little bit about you. Um, and first of all, why you were recognised as being uh, one of our two role models of the year this year, because your category was very competitive. We had, I think, from mm-hmm. memory, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 14 um, finalists within that yes. category. And I know that when Ava was been working with the judges in the background, because she was the head judge this year, that there was a there was a lot of tough decisions that needed to be made to identify our winners. And so one of the reasons that we had the two winners and the runner up was that there was so much great work that deserved to be yes. to recognise within that. But one of the the when we're looking at this and you're judging things, you have to look at everything and go, well, what is it they're doing and how much are they doing? And yours was one of the entries mm-hmm. that stood out um, leaps and bounds amongst all of those. So let's start with um, the work that you've done on campus. So you're currently a student at KCL, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes, so, I am a student. Second, second my third year. So what have you been doing whilst you've been at King's College London um, in support of the LGBTQ plus community? Sure. Um, I guess the question will be, what haven't I been doing? Um, Where to start? So when I first started at King's, I um, applied for two roles. So the role I applied for was the Black Student Representative of the LGBTQ Plus Society uh, and the EDI rep for my academic department, so the School of Global Affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I got my introduction to the activism, advocacy, student voice space at KCL specifically. Um, and that kind of gave me my introduction. I spent the year kind of sitting in the background, observing how things kind of operate because I was new to this space mm-hmm. um, and seeing like where my voice would have the most impact. Um, and so by the end of that year, so I would say March of 2022, I decided to create a new society uh, for students of color, specifically queer students of color, because I felt like we didn't have a space. And in my role as the Black Student Representative, it was really hard for me to get other Black students or other POC students to come to events because of the distrust that they had with the society. And Mm. we also, queer students of color also, weren't really accepted in like uh, ethnic societies. So the ACS, the African Caribbean Student Societies, these spaces are not really known as queer inclusive spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a, a general consensus of the few queer people of color at Kings that I know um, that we needed our own space. So basically I founded that society um, and out of that society grew Tea Time with Taj, which is what I'm perhaps, I think the most proud of. So it's a, an initiative basically uh, where we get 
queer students of color get to meet over a free lunch or free snack um, and chat about life. So sometimes we do like activities, sometimes we just talk, sometimes we have questions, sometimes we have a guest speaker, but it's really to stimulate um, conversations about health and well-being mm. because I think especially for me, like as an activist and many of my other queer students of color were activists as well, um, we often forget to look after our own health, especially our mental health. So I just thought it would be really good to have like, to build a sense of community and to have a space uh, where we all shared similar experiences, where we could chat um, and to have that space be set. So always be there no matter who, how many people attend. So it mm. runs regularly. So over time the space will build up but there was no pressure to like let's say only only 10 people attended so that means it's not successful that's not how i wanted to go about it um and i was able to run that initiative through um this academic year uh which 2022 2023 uh where i continued with the lgbtq society as the president the co-president um and was elected as the LGBTQ plus network chair, which is very similar to what many may understand as the LGBTQ plus student officer with any student union. So I was able to continue to tie Tosh through those uh, roles as well. But uh, a lot of my work in the president role and in the network role has kind of shifted as well from event organizing and being uh, social media and doing that type of stuff to a lot of behind the scenes work. So responding to numerous emails, um, helping students get the support that they need, uh, forwarding complaints, launching complaints against um, staff on behalf of other students. Um, and sending emails and being in EDI committee meetings and just making sure that at every opportunity I have, I represent the students that I represent fairly and to the best of my ability. And I also represent myself and my own experience in all of these settings. And I think that has really started a new conversation in my school, especially in my student union, especially around mental health and intersectionality mm -hmm. um, and how intersectionality really affects health care, specifically mental health care and well-being and outcomes of specific students. So seeing how we can better support queer students of color specifically as their own group, rather than trying to say, oh, we have support for LGBTQ plus students, oh, we have support for black students, but where that support overlaps is what's missing. So that is, I guess, where my place fits. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's a really good point you're making there around intersectionality and things, because there are, we do tend to look at a lot of the work I do with student employers around um, inclusion and diversity puts us into boxes, into silos, and there's a network for this and network yeah. for that. But those crossovers, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. They they absolutely um, exist as well. And mental health and well-being, massively important, a huge area of the, the work that I do and the focus of kind of conversations that I have. Um, and particularly pertinent as well, I think, I'd be interested to kind of hear your take on this, of kind of when we're recording now, for those of you that are listening, at the start of July, so Pride Month has just finished, and it tends to be, I see, one of those kind of peaks within the year for our community where 
people are interested or they're driven towards hearing about our stories. But sharing the stories of people that happen across um, the, the career community, it can be exhausting. I know I get to the end of the month and kind of just like and, and look forward to yeah. a break because there is a role for us to help to educate others so that they can understand how they can be better allies, for example. But it's almost, I always feel like it's a baton that we're passing to them and then there's a responsibility for them to do something with it. Absolutely. And so do you, do you, when, yeah, you, so... when you do all this work, do you, do you find enough time for yourself and, and everything to kind of process how much you're achieving but also look after yourself, I suppose, is the question that I'm alluding to there. Yes, yeah, so not in the past, I'm not going to lie. Um, in the past, I was running myself thin. Because mm. I feel like if I used to live by the motto, if not now, when, if not you, who? So that meant that any opportunity I had to use my voice to speak, I took it. Um, but this year, especially during Pride Month, I made a conscious effort to rest and to give myself some, do myself some justice by taking Pride Month as a reflective period for me to, to rest and just absorb all the work that I've done throughout the year um, and just really take it easy. And unlike many other people who are ramping up during Pride Month, I decided to ramp down. So I started telling people no. <laughs> um, so I guess it's a bit of a, a bit of a restorative justice in a way to give myself a break during Pride Month, which hopefully is what Pride Month ends up being at some point, a, a, a period where where we can rest and be celebrated and reflect and not have to uh, be on the front lines. Um, hopefully we'll get there one day, but that time is not with us yet. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, I mean, that is, it's good to hear that. And that's one of the reasons that um, the, the QSAs were set up within Pride Month, because I, I wanted to use it as an opportunity to celebrate all of the great work yes, that's going exactly. on because we know pride as a community is being rooted in protest and rooted in sharing mm-hmm. the experiences that we're going through that um, sadly are still in some places as negative as they've always been in a way in terms of the reception yes, exactly. from other people so to have an opportunity mm-hmm. to celebrate for, for me personally when I was setting the QSAs that was, was, was it, it was absolutely kind of integral to the awards that it happened during prime month um and thank god that you, you were taking a rest and you didn't say no to come in because you were taking a rest Otherwise, <laughs> <you weren't struggling. laughs> so, i mean that's great work that you're doing and you've done on campus there as well which has fed into that nomination and the reasons that you've been recognized in the in the qsa's yeah. Um, one of the, the themes that ran through the final, we had um, Ava, who's a, a trans activist and has found one of the founders of Trans People Are Loved, who spoke on the evening. And some of the some yeah. of your nominations spoke to Trans Awareness Week and how you've evolved that. So talk us through that. Sure. So in my role as LGBTQ Plus Network Chair or the Student Officer, um, I was responsible for overseeing the student union's celebrations around both 
um, Trans Awareness Week and LGBTQ Plus History Month. Um, so that involved a, a, a proven funding because there's special funding for liberation periods that societies have access to if they want to throw events related to that, that, that group. So I was overseeing funding and also overseeing any initiatives that the student union wanted to throw as the student union hosted these events. So basically what happened was we had a significant amount of events um, and we kind of chose, so there was a national theme, I can't remember what it was, but we also chose our own theme, um, which I also can't remember what it was. Um, but the idea was that we wanted to celebrate both themes as we thought they were really important. And one was, I guess, more specific to our school and our union. Um, so what happened was we had the first week, which was focused on events related to the national theme. And then we had a second week, um, which was focused on events related to our theme that we had chosen. So basically it evolved into a period of of two weeks, well, two, two and a half weeks or so, um, where we had the opportunity to celebrate trans students and a trans experience and also have some much needed conversations in our, our spaces. Um, about their experience and what they need from the SU and what they need from the university um, and what they need from society as a whole. Um, so we felt that a week just wasn't enough, basically. A week wasn't enough to encapsulate everything that we wanted to accomplish. Um, and it, we thought it was kind of unfair that Black History Month gets a month, LGBT Plus History Month gets a month, Women's History Month gets a month, but Trans Awareness Week only gets a week. So we expanded it a little bit and hopefully this year we plan to expand it a little bit even more to run over about a three and a half week period uh, this upcoming year. So mm -hmm. it'll be a festival. So it won't be confined to the constraints of one week like mm -hmm. it was previously. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Wonderful. And coming back to the point you made there, I heard you mention about working with um, KCL as a university um, part of your submission referenced the work that you've done with the facilities team there around um, yeah. gender-neutral bathrooms. What did you do there? And what, was there any challenges that you had to overcome? Oh, yes, definitely. So I guess with any bureaucracy, there's a lot of a lot of loopholes and a lot of finding the right person, having to navigate to find the right person. Um, so but basically what had happened was we had some students come and complain and say, like, hey, last year there was a gender neutral toilet here. This year it doesn't seem to be there. This year it's no uh, marking showing that this is a gender neutral toilet. Um, and we want to know kind of why that is. So then I sent some emails and I also started to do my own investigation and um, looked at the map because our school had a map of where the gender neutral toilets could be found. Um, and basically I took the map and walked around all the campuses, me and a, a fellow member of the society, and we looked and we found that there were a lot of discrepancies with the um, with the map and with where the toilets were. So basically we started to have conversations with Proudly Kings, which is the staff network, staff LGBT okay. network. And they we found out that they had been doing a similar thing. So they had been going around and uh, trying to create an Excel document of where all the gender neutral toilets are because they found that the King's resources also weren't um, up to date. So basically what happened was led by me, me and uh, the network, the society and the staff network, we joined together with the estates and facilities team and we worked together to produce uh, interactive Excel documents where people can go and see where all the gender neutral toilets are 
if they're shared with a disabled toilet, if it's single stall, if it requires a key access, if it's upstairs, et cetera, et cetera. So just so everyone knows where they are, if they're easy to access. Um, and basically why we wanted to do that, because we wanted to make it clear that we need more gender neutral toilets. So that was the reason for doing that exercise was because the response we always get is, oh, we already have them. When we say we need more, they say we already have them in every building. So we ran about the exercise of saying, well, here's where they are, and here's half of them that students can't access because they require a key card that mm -hmm. students do not have access to. Um, here's half of them that are shared with a disabled toilet, which is unfair for both communities. Um, so we ran about that work, and this year um, we've got case facilities to commit to where they can uh, putting in some new gender neutral toilets and also being open. We also created a, a way in which students and staff can provide input into where gender neutral toilets should be. And if anything goes wrong, we created a specific like uh, medium through which issues related to gender neutral toilets can be reported because generally it would have had to go through the general estates and facilities reporting, but now it can come right through us as the student group or through Property Kings, and we can pass it on directly to estates and facilities. So that's mainly the work around that. Um, yeah. I mean, that must have been a huge project. I mean, it's a really great example of, I'm always feeling like I'm sitting because I do interviewing as well as a freelancer and thinking, yes. just to give an example of like a collaborative effort of teamwork, you've just nailed that. Um, <laughs> really important work though as well to be able to point something out that somebody thinks they've already um, managed to, to achieve. Exactly. Um, I have... I have a, a, it's a long time ago now, but I did used to be a recruiter um, on King's campus. Um, and oh, wow. it is a big space. So yes. it's very easy to get lost in it. Um, yeah. And if you're, and I can imagine, let's, let's just talk about it kind of the way it is. So if you want to go to the toilet, you need to go to the toilet. So you don't want to be yeah, worried exactly. about where it is. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, fantastic. Okay, thanks for sharing that. And so um, the last bit before I move on to kind of the, the, the piece that stood out with the youth panel, which um, clinched the, the Career of the Year uh, award for you, was um, also the bit around the work that you've done with a liberation ball as well. So tell me about that. Okay, so as a queer, non-binary person, I really felt, and as the first queer non-binary person in the rules that I'm currently in at my university, yeah. I felt it was really important to use that experience and to bring the experience of my community into it um, because I felt like it was not a lot of representation of Black queer voices and Black queer art um, and Black queer liberation in these um, in, in the academic space. Yeah. Um, so basically that's where the Liberation Ball came out of. Um, it was a panel discussion with three of London's um, most upcoming ballroom artists. And when I say ballroom, I mean voguing, like Impose and Legendary on HBO, uh, like those examples. Um, three of London's up and coming uh, ballroom stars in three different categories. So one performance, which is voguing as we know it. The other one is runway. So that's all about 
walking and the other category is face, which is about showing off your beauty. So I had three of them come. We talked about the history of ballroom um, and kind of the importance of ballroom and why it's necessary and how it really is uh, the live and breathe in uh, example of black liberation, black queer liberation at, at its core. Um, and then we had a mini bowl where students were able to, students and staff were able to participate and walk in a few categories and experience what what, what ballroom was like. And I think students really enjoyed it. We had students from King's, from LSC, from UCL, from a lot of London universities, um, because this was really the first kind of event like this um, within a university space held by a university um, for this community. So it was really impactful. It was really, pow- really powerful. It was, and it took a lot of work to plan. It was the biggest uh, event of of the year, kind of, and it took everything out of me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I can imagine. So you've got the three different categories there to start with, and then you've got actually managing yes. get kind of like a space to do it, the people to participate, bringing together mm-hmm. those campuses that you just mentioned there. Like London is a big city. They're not all close to each yes. other. There's a lot of work promoting it across campus as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just know and from, it was sold out sold out as well there we go brilliant yes <laughs> so um, and, and imagine as well though like a lot of hard work to do but even just watching um, balls on shows like Pose and things they just uh, they look fantastic and such a big celebration yes. so it must have been nice mm-hmm. to stand back and, and kind of soak it all up and kind of be sitting there and thinking I did this or I contributed to what Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's amazing because it's a sense of freedom that you don't really see often because we're not allowed to show it in our everyday life. It's queer joy, really. Yeah. 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 And you know, like, actually, I just remembered, so um, when we launched the QSAs two years ago, the first year we did it, it was on Zoom. And um, our first winner, Jack, was dialed into this Zoom call with a school, his college, sorry, Dudley College, with some of his classmates. And when he was announced as Career of the Year at the end, I remember now we played Lady Gaga, which was the song that he'd chosen as his uh, queer anthem. And loads of students mm-hmm. got up and started voguing at the front of the room in front of the camera. Oh, wow. It's, it's mm-hmm. becoming a common theme with winners of the uh, of the QSAs. Maybe we should build it into the awards. <laughs> yes. I might, I might be reaching out to you and hiring your services for next year's awards. Um, yes. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Excellent. Um, as I said, so so that was everything that was put in for the nomination for the role model of the year and how it works for the benefit of our listeners, because I think Katie explained this on the evening for, for the finalists. But so all of the um, winners for the different youth categories are then reread by our youth judging panel. So the youth judging panel um, is made up of various different um, LGBTQ plus youths that um, have either already been recognised for work that they're doing for the community in their workplace, for example, um, or have been previous winners or finalists of the awards. Um, and so that panel looked at the the entries and there's no, in this, there's, they're judged slightly different to the other categories in that they're asked to look um, at the, re-look really at the entries and uh, assess them, judge them, sorry, 
against the values that we have associated with the QSA. So when I founded the awards, they were values around change. So what I mean by that is equality, hope, vision, um, continuity, so endurance, irrepressibility, resilience, connection, appreciation, connectivity, trust, um, communal, so com creation of community, respect within the community, and also self-expression. And then the core values of the, the QSAs being around commitment, diversity, joy, which I spoke about on the evening in my speech, perspective and passion so that was what your entry was being looked the, the lens that was being applied back over your entry and one of the things that mm -hmm. stood out um to the judges which um led them to name you as queer of the year was the international reach of the work that you do so let's talk a little bit about that um so the, you are the founder and president of Bermuda's first and only LGBTQ plus student organization, The Village. Tell us more. Okay. So basically, when I was halfway through um, high school, I also started at a local community college doing sort of like some college courses. So I did like a dual mm -hmm. enrollment type of program. Right. Um, and there, there was a... A, a counselor who just said that, like, we were talking candidly, um, and I was talking about how there's no, like, services, like, in high, like, in our public school system or in the private schools, specifically for uh, queer students. So I, she said to me, well, let's create one. So basically, that's how, how it was born. Um, so we worked together and we, it started off very low key because we were unsure if it would be safe. Um, and that was a big thing. We really wanted it to be safe and we didn't want anyone to harass students. And we also didn't want there to be any pressure to identify as part of the community. Um, so that way people who were still in the closet or just allies could still come along as well. So basically, we, we sent out an email and we said, hey, like, anyone who's uh, interested in joining this group, uh, send us an email back and we'll give you the location for our first meeting. So we had our first meeting and then it kind of grew from there. So we created a group chat. Um, and through the village, I was really able to find my voice and really realize my passion for activism, truly. That's where it really all started. Um, and my desire to create community um, really all started with the village. And through the village, I had some amazing opportunities. I got to attend two international conferences, um, one in the US um, for higher education institutions around diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. and then one in the Caribbean, uh, in Jamaica, actually, at the University of the West Indies, um, which was about uh, resilience um, of the Caribbean uh, LGBTQ plus community and how we can kind of build resilience amongst each other and support each other through our various initiatives. Um, and also out of that uh, came Bermuda Pride. So I'm also one of the founders of Bermuda Pride. So Bermuda had our first Pride Parade in 2019. Um, and then it paused for COVID. And then we had our first full swing return uh, last year, uh, which I was honored to be one of the unofficial grand marshals and also speak on the panel of that, that Pride has every year. So out of, out of the village came so many opportunities for me and I'm forever thankful for that opportunity um, 
and for being able to create that space. And that space still exists. And what's, I think, troubling is that it's still the only space on the island for queer students. Um, no other school has taken up the initiative to start one. Uh, we tried to at, at one point, but we got a lot of pushback. So I really hope that one day um, some of the high schools start to take up uh, that initiative and pick up the baton, as you said. Yeah. That's amazing. I hope they do as well. I th- I, I've got faith. I think there's a lot that I've learned over the last couple of years about how not only how much amazing work that young people like yourself are doing, but there's a there's a fire that's underneath everything that you all work towards that um, is pushing us all in the right direction, even if it might not feel like it at times. That's what I like to think yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, and you've also got um, you're a regular regular contributor to the Royal Gazette and Bear News as well. I've read some of the stuff that you've published. It's amazing for me to see all these different spaces where you use your voice. Um, it's very impressive. Yeah. Um, how how do you, I mean? I, I could just keep asking the same question every time. To be honest, of how you how do you find time to do all of these things? But I, I've, I'm used to writing things myself, and I know it's that's very time consuming, or it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been, um, for example, the most interesting piece that you've written about? You think that we could potentially put into the the comments section for people to go and read onwards and, and learn more about your work there? I think my most interesting piece, and the piece I'm, I think, most proud of is a piece I actually wrote for International Women's Day. Um, And it was called An Opportunity, it was called Embrace Equity, which was the theme for International Women's Day this year. Um, And I said, Embrace Equity, an Opportunity for Solidarity. So basically, I was talking about the power and importance of solidarity amongst different um, activist movements. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of looking at the history of solidarity briefly um, and how queer people of color have always been, have always shown solidarity to other movements because they also affect us. Um, But we really get that same solidarity shown back to us from those people who we claim to be supportive and representing. Um, so I talked about James Baldwin, I talked about Bernard Ruskin, I talked about Audre Lorde uh, and Marsha P. Johnson as well. It's people at the forefront of, and the founders of Black uh, Lives Matter as mm-hmm. well, who are queer women. So I talked about just how we always show solidarity but never get it in return and the importance of really explaining so I really explained what solidarity meant, what equity meant, what intersectionality meant, um, and then said, like, basically, here's what it is, and here's why we need it. And, and this is really the only way that we can create change is to do it together. So we have to co-create the future that we want. We can't operate in silos. And the most important message I think I got is that we all have to be human rights activists unconditionally, we can't just be LGBTQ plus rights activists. We can't just be women's rights activists. We can't just be Black Lives Matter rights activists. We have to be all human rights all together because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So that's basically what it was about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 
That, I haven't read that one. That sounds interesting. So I will ask you to share that with me after we finish recording. Yes, absolutely. Notes for everybody so they can go on reading it as well. And that, what you were just saying there, and also everything else you've been talking about with me today, kind of speaks very loudly to me to the way that um, your nomination was um, signed off at the end. So there was um, a nod towards the, neg- the legacy that you are building on kindness, diligence, and active listening. It's a nice warm hug on the end of that. I liked that. I'm gonna yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, well, it's been um, wonderful learning more about you finally because we didn't get a chance to have a huge conversation at the awards. I know I was on stage with you um, at the when you uh, were collecting your award and everything, but I've learned even more about the work that you're doing there, so thank you for sharing that there, Taj. Um, one thing that I ask every guest before I let them go um, is to give a piece of advice that they would give the listeners. What would yours be? My advice would be to trust yourself um, and take time when you need to take time. So take a break when you need to take a break and trust your body and trust your mind in knowing when it's time. Excellent. That resonates with me. Having just had a week off after the awards, that resonates with me very much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Brilliant. And, and if there was one um, song that would be the anthem of Taj, what would it be? We have a playlist, so I'll make sure I add that on there as well. It would have to be Mighty Real by Sylvester. Excellent. Love it. Did you, um, have you heard the new version that's been recorded by Adam Lambert? No. No. I know. I think he performed it at Pride. I heard yeah. it performed at Pride, but I haven't yeah, heard he it. I haven't listened to it. It's a good, I mean, the original is still better, I think, but it is a, it's a good, <laughs> good version of it. And I didn't make it down to Pride in London this year, but I do believe that one of my favourite artists, Beverly Knight, came onto the stage to sing it with him as well. So I'm gutted oh. that I missed that. But, right, here Thank we will you. add that onto the list for you. Right, as I said, um, yes. wonderful to have a conversation with you, Taj. Thank you very much. Um, and I'm looking forward to um, getting that um, the the voguing at the uh, awards next year. I think we should get make sure that happens. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yes. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Taj. Okay, so that's it for another episode of Proud to be Queer podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode featuring another one of our winners of the 2023 Queer Student Awards. Bye for now.